Hosting for this podcast is made possible through mtgcast.com, which is supported by a generous contribution from quietspeculation.com, Magic's premier trading and financial news site. Welcome to Dobbing to Draft, this is episode 34, recording on the 31st of July 2013. My name is Craig and I'm one of your hosts. Joining me this week is... Dan! Now, we're both ill this week, so the chances are the main topic is going to be a bit all over the place. And I would say this podcast is going to be short, but um, I always love podcasts which say stuff like that. Or like, we got this super secret guest on tonight, and then you just look in the show notes, or you check out the timer and you go, Oh yeah, I know you secret guest is, you told us. Or, yeah, of course it's a short show, it says 30 minutes on the timer, I'm not stupid, so... I was saying this will probably be short, but you, you can tell by the life of the episode. Anyways, um, <laughs> let us just start off with feedback. Uh, Andrew on Twitter, uh, he gave us some feedback, I think, when we were mentioning Awaken the Ancient 2 episodes ago, episode 32. Um, we were sort of wondering why the haste element was there. Maybe I was wondering why the haste element was there. And he was pointing out it's probably for Magic Online, because what land you enchant is really important. And which land you've just played is nowhere near as clear on Mitko as it is in Paper Magic. So thank you very much, Andrew, for pointing that one out for us. Um, also, Roger, who was our competition winner, if you remember that, uh, he was tweeting me on the Twitters and saying thank you for both the seal set and also for pronouncing his surname correctly. Um, I will admit I did pause during the recording to make sure I was pronouncing it correctly. Uh, so I'm grateful that I did actually do that right and happy for the validation. I hope you got some good uh, stuff from your packs and you made an awesome draft deck. And uh, yeah. Right. Dan, you did point out that we have neglected this feature for the last few shows, so let's get right on to it. Name that card! Um, cool. I have a card. Okay. Uh, first, then. This, this may well be easy, but I don't care. Uh, okay, this is a card from Magic 2014. Woohoo! Uh, this card is a reprint. Okay. And this card costs one and a red. Ooh, is it Volcanic Strike? It is not. This card is common. Ooh, is it Goblin Shark Guy? Okay, well, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's Goblin Shortcutter. Shows that making random guesses is worth it. <laughs> it definitely pays off. That makes this a heck of a lot shorter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take it. Okay. Uh, I did say I thought that was easy. Yeah. I have a pile of magic cards in front of me. So I'm going to give them a shuffle. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> and pick one out, and that's going to be my name, that card, regardless of how obvious I think it's going to be. Okay. So here we go. Aha. This may actually be somewhat obvious. <laughs> okay, then. This card is from M14. That is a good start. It is just like yours. It is also red. Okay, I will guess Young Pyromancer. It is not Young Pyromancer. Okay. But it is a co- an uncommon. An uncommon? Um, uh, oh, oh, what's the... Uh, the Sliver, which gives plus two, plus oh to all other Slivers you control. Battle Sliver. Yeah. It's not that one. Okay. Can't this remember. only costs three mana. Uh, three mana, uncommon in red... Uh, no, Molten Birth is definitely a common, so... Wow, I'm blanking. Um, 
It's not the one I would have first went for. Dragon egg? No, but that is an uncommon. This is okay. not a creature. It's a sorcery. Yeah, I had a feeling it was a sorcery. I just can't think of anything off the top of my head. Uh, I think there's only two uncommon red sorceries that cost three in the set. Okay. I might be wrong, but I think so. Let's see. It's not... Uh, wow, I'm struggling. Uh, Chandra's Outrage isn't three or... So, uh, hmm. Uh, no, you have to give me more help, I'm afraid. I can't think. Okay. Um, it has double red in the casting cost. <sighs> you may get to cast it more than once. Wait, Molten Birth? It is Molten Birth. <laughs> is that an uncommon? Yeah. I thought that was a totally a common. Oh. Yeah, I suppose it, it kind of does seem like a bit of a common. I suppose it's a coin flip effect. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, so I, I, yeah. There you go. I mentioned you, you it. I ruled it, it out, and then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought, I'm not gonna give you it based on you ruling it out. I'm not gonna it, go, oh no, but it is. <laughs> it was funny, I was like trying to go, is it one of the Chandra abilities? I was like, no, they're not. I can't think of any of them at that mana cost. Flames is the other three mana uncommon. Oh, of course, Flames of the Firebrand. I was trying to, I, th- I thought it had Chandra in the name. It just has Chandra and, well, it does have Chandra in the name, but Firebrand as opposed to. Rather than her first name. Yeah. Or her title. Yeah. And not her title from this set. No, no, nope. Which a lot of people will still get tongue tied on. Pyro Master, not Pyro Mancer. Yeah, I have noticed that quite a bit. Yeah. Especially when there's a Pyro Mancer with a young Pyro Mancer. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like it's supposed to be Kid Chandra. Well, uh, um, there was a, I don't know what, is this a quote on Arcana? There was a thing on the Magic website where they showed a zoomed up version of Young Pyromancer and the, the necklace he's wearing has a picture of Chandra on the necklace. Ah, so he's like a proper fanboy then. Yeah, he is, he is a proper Chandra fanboy. That's why he's got the red hair, the red robes, the goggles. Yeah, he <laughs> and is. And why at first glance he kind of just looks like a girl as well. Yeah, it took me a while to realise that the young pyromancer was actually a male, but yeah. Yeah, I thought so as well at a glance. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there, there is the, you know, read the card statement, also just look at the artwork would also be handy as well. Yeah, I, I realised earlier today I, I tend not to look at artwork enough on some cards. Yeah. If the artwork looks awesome, I'll pay more attention to it, but if it doesn't, then I'll tend to just dismiss it and not even realise what's in the artwork. Fair enough. Yeah. For example, um, Show of Valor. Um, I had no idea there was a woman holding a child in that photo. Yes. I thought it was somebody attacking. <laughs> I'll throw this baby at you! <laughs> you never know. It might work. Would uh, that give you plus two, plus four? I, d- I don't think a child has a plus two, plus four ability. Probably not. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> Right, okay, uh, let us move on to the news. This is all in a weird order. Uh, for those who are not aware of what has been happening, and I'm, I'm going to use the past tense, even though it's only just started for us today, World's Week is going on. This is, um, it's meant to be, I guess, Magic's big event of the year, seeing it does run from Wednesday until Sunday? Yes. Which is longer than anything else. I mean, Pro Tours are three days. This is a whole five-day event. However, this is two events rolled into one. So we've got the World Championship, which is the best 16 players in the world uh, playing against each other. And then there's also the World Magic Cup, where all 71 nations um, 
well, all 71 nations which are allowed to be represented, at least, will be battling out to become the World Magic Cup champion and hopefully prove that Scotland is actually the best and not just, you know, top eight worthy. So, yeah, that's what's happening this weekend, except for it's probably already happened by any, by the time anyone's listened to this. So I'm not sure how far I should really go into this. I mean... Well, can, since everyone's going to be listening to this after the event, can we just, like, say well done, Scotland? Yeah, so congratulations to Scotland for coming in first. Yay! Uh, for, go Scotland. For beating uh, last year's champions, uh, Chinese Taipei, in the semifinals and moving on to beat England in the finals, quite clearly. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. it's about the one sport or one competitive thing where we might actually get that opportunity. <laughs> I mean, except for rugby, I think Scotland's pretty pants are practically... Oh, actually, tennis, let's be honest. Yeah, okay, we've got a good tennis player. Tennis, rugby, and magic are really the three sports Scotland should be pushing. And forgetting about this football malarkey, because we can't kick a ball to save our lives. Hey, magic's in our top three sports, if it can be counted as a sport. I think that's good. No, yeah. we, we should definitely promote that as a country. We should. We should. <laughs> Scotland's national sport. Absolutely. Magic, magic the, the Gathering. gathering. Yeah. Doesn't uh, Scotland already have a national sport? Uh, golf. Where's yeah, it go? Okay. But we're not that good at it, are we? Not that I don't think so. I mean, come, come here to play golf, but don't ask us to play like against you and be any decent. I think. No, probably not. <laughs> uh, I mean, Colin Montgomery was the last one. Wow, this is moving well. The topic. That's about the only name I know. But anyway, yeah, let's get back to magic. <laughs> so the World Championship uh, best sixteen players. I think we mentioned this before about what makes them up. You know, uh, the last year's champion the. Magical Nine champion, and then the best players from different regions, Pro Tour winners, etc., etc. C- can we congr- Can we just randomly guess and congratulate someone for winning this as well? Yeah, I'm. I'm going to say well done, Efro. Okay, you're going with Eric Froelich. Um, you know what? I'm just. I don't think this is going to happen. Yuya Watanabe clearly won. You know, defending champion. He he just went. Yeah. You know, he he would have taken it down again somehow. That that would be quite the achievement to win it twice in a row. It would be. What I did love watching earlier, round three, day one, Yuya versus Sifka, Yuya casting a storm card against Sifka. Complete reversal of return to Ravnica final. I loved it. It, it. it brought a smile to me at work. Quite quite suitable. It was. Uh, empty the Warrens. Not quite as annoying as eggs, but... Oh, yeah. Not quite a one-turn win, since it usually takes till at least the next turn to attack with them, but still... <laughs> So yes, World Magic Week, World, what's it called? World's Week, that's it. World's Week should have happened. We should now have Scotland on top and uh, your pick of the best 16 players. Yeah, yeah, right, let's move on. Um, so the Portrait Hall of Fame uh, will also have happened. However, um, I can at least talk about the three people who were nominated to uh, the 2013 uh, Tour Hall of Fame. So, uh, Luis Scott Vargas got an incredible 95.6% of the votes. Wow. Uh, that doesn't quite equate to 95.63% of the people who were able to vote, because there's odd weightings between the two different groups who can actually vote. But he got 95.63%. William Jensen got just under 60%, and Ben Stark also got just under 60% of the vote. Now, the cutoff was 40% of the vote. And unfortunately, Chris Pakula, who this was his last year to get in, this meddling mage for anybody who uh, recognizes him by that name, he got only 38.4, 1.6% short. 
And unfortunately, this is probably his last year to actually get onto the Hall of Fame. So he just narrowly missed out. But still, wow, ninety-five odd percent. That's yeah, a nice score. I'm not surprised. I mean, yeah, this is as I understand this is LSV's first opportunity to get into the Pro Tour Hall of Fame, and I mean, as we can see from the percentages, practically everybody voted for him. Yeah, I mean, every every pro that was posted on Twitter about the Hall of Fame ballot was saying that that LSV was a lock and they were voting for them. So I'm not surprised at all, but I mean, I think he really deserved it. Not only is he a great player, but he adds a lot to the community as well. Uh So I'm quite happy about that. Yeah, um, Ben Stark, who is potentially the best limited player at the moment, of all time at the moment, I think. He certainly has the reputation for it. Yeah, um... William Jensen, not a name I recognise, or am I just being a bit silly? He's an old-time player. Right. He's one of the sort of original crew of players that kind of came back into the game recently. All right, I can see now. So his era was sort of around 99 to 2004, from what I'm seeing on the Wikipedia page. Yeah. One of the few players to have beaten Kai Boudet in the elimination rounds of a pro tour. That is... That is an achievement on its own. (laughs) That is an achievement on its own. So he won... uh, Pro Tour Boston in 2003. Okay, fair enough. Well him. Yeah, so congratulations to them. Uh, don't think there's much more to say on the matter. No, well done to the three that got nominated. Yeah. Uh, last piece of news, September's FNM promo has been revealed, which I have complained in the past about, I don't like how Wizards sort of keep promoting things so far in advance, you know, just as M14 comes out, we're getting all the Theros news. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of that, but I don't mind hearing about the FNM promos because, you know, it's not like their new cards are really going to affect me much. But Gorkhan Rampager, which is one of my favorite cards, uh, I, I think from the Return to Radical Block in general, uh, it did help me win my very nice Gatecrash uh, Games Day playmat. I think it done a lot of work in those games for you. Yeah, it's it's a all star. Uh, I love it in limited. I love it in standard. What little standard I play, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm quite happy. This is going to be an F and M promo. A lot of the F and M promos we've had and having are really like good quality cards. They have been great recently. I mean, I know obviously they they can't be played in limited because they're not being handed out in limited. You know, but it's yeah. still pretty cool to get them and. Uh, Nice to have. Historically, we've had some promos just at the end of their time in Standard, which is really annoying, I think. Mm-hmm. But all of these, at least, have been during Ravnica. They kept making Ravnica promos. So yeah, I remember really late Gitaxi and Probe just before like rotated out. Exactly. So. Yeah, they done that quite a lot back then. Uh, I think Cultivate um, got its promo just before the end, and there was a few others as well. Like I think one of the uh, cards from Alara got a. A promo just after rotation. I'm not 100% sure, but it was quite late anyway. Right. Um, and I mean, look at the, the biggest one, which was the Primeval Titan and, and stuff. Oh, the three Titans that got a promo, they basically, they were just about to rotate and they, and three of them got promos. It was quite strange. So yeah, it's really good that, even though they're only like commons and uncommons that are getting these promos, it's quite nice anyway. In fact, I think most of them have been uncommons. Yeah, I don't think they tend to actually hand out rares anymore as F and M. But oh, it's yeah, I'm, I've been happy with the quality. Yeah, I'm definitely happy with the quality. Even though, yeah, obviously they're going to be used and constructed, but eh, yeah, going to be going to look good regardless. There's a slight skew towards aggro cards, though. I've not seen enough control cards. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I got my is it charm, I suppose. That will do. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it's a charm. Clearly the best of the charms. Yeah, it's a very pretty card as well. It is a very pretty card, that is true. <laughs> One of the artworks I have noticed. Yay! Yeah, congratulate. Well, you, you can't ignore foil as a cards. They are just beautiful. Foil turn and burn. Oh. Yeah, just red and blue foils tend to have that going for them. Is it? The best guild? Yeah. Black and white foils seem to be the least exciting. <laughs> just because they're quite monochromatic, so it doesn't come up as impressive. You, you want there to be like big spell fire blasts and stuff on the card for foiling. That looks really sweet. Yeah, that's true. Right, we should probably go into our main topic, which is just going to be a general rambling about decks we've played or decks we like in M14, I think. Decks, decks, decks. Uh, do you want to lead off the charge, or shall I? Um, seeing as you said leading the charge, I think you've probably got a more appropriate deck to begin with. Oh, right, okay. That was not even an intentional segue. Uh... Yeah, so this is maybe going back a bit, but during uh, the pre-releases, we did the pre-release in the afternoon, starting about noonish, and then afterwards we do a draft with the boosters we won. On Saturday's pre-release, I had good fun with Zephyr Charge. Now, you may not know what Zephyr Charge is. It's because it's a completely useless card. It's one in a blue enchantment, and it gives for one in a blue, you can pay one in a blue, and target creature gains flying until end of turn. Now, this card is completely unplayable. It's kind of like a new Levitation. But worse, because Levitation, you plonk it down and everything flies forever. This one, you need to keep paying two mana to make things fly each turn. The problem with both cards is they're just, they're blue. Which generally doesn't need flying. It already has it, but yeah. Yeah, so th- this is a completely useless card. It will undoubtedly have been passed to you last and you've looked at it and went, eh, and ignored it. Because it's completely you know, useless, as I keep saying. However, it works really, really well in one particular circumstance, and that would be with the rare blue enchantment, Dismiss It to Dream. Now, this is a ridiculous sev- uh, yeah, seven mana cost. It's six and a blue. It's an enchantment. Each creature your opponent's control is an illusion, in addition to its other types, and has, when this creature becomes the target of a spell or ability, you sacrifice it. Now you, what you've got is, if you can get Dismiss into Dream into play and Zephyr Charge into play, then I can now pay two mana and target one of your, my opponent's creatures and cause them to sacrifice it. Unlimited Doom Blades. It is unlimited Doom Blades. It is two mana. If, I can, if it doesn't have Hexproof, it's dying. It doesn't matter if it's indestructible. It's dying. It's awesome. And more importantly, when comparing it to Doom Blade, it doesn't matter if it's black. It's yes. still dying. Yes, so it's literally, what, pro-blue and hexproof, which is going to keep you alive. Yeah, I don't think there's any pro-blue in the set. <sighs> does Brave the Elements give you pro-blue? I don't know. What does it do? Brave the Elements. It choose a colour, white creatures gain protection from the chosen colour. Okay, turn. so it does. For a turn. Yeah, but otherwise, yeah. So this is a ridiculous idea to build, like, to, to try to make work in a limited format, because you need to get up to 7 mana to cast Dismiss into Dream, which is 7 mana you're investing for a, literally a do-nothing enchantment, unless you have something already on the board which targets things at instant speed and isn't going to cost you any more mana. I.e., you play this, and Zephyr Charge can't do anything until the turn after. But if you do have Dismiss into Dream and Zephyr Charge in play, it is pay 2 mana, kill one of your opponent's things. Repeatable. It is fairly unbeatable. Once you've got it going. Yeah, once you get it going, it is ridiculous. Which is why I'm trying to, I'm trying to say this was awesome, 
but don't try to make this, like, don't push it too hard to try to make this work. Like, there are other cars which do target and don't do much. I would not play any other cars which just target just for the sake of dismissing into dreaming things. But this was one ridiculous combo. But the funny thing, the funnier thing about this, beyond the fact I used uh do-nothing enchantment and do-nothing enchantment to kill my opponent's things, I got two dismiss into dreams in this draft. Because, like, you don't want to play a dismiss into dream unless you also have the Zephyr charge with it. And you actually think you can survive until you can get both of these cards into play and start killing your opponent's creatures. But, yeah, double dismiss into dream and single Zephyr charge in my deck. Just ridiculous. Didn't you also play a Strionic Resonator? Or did you cut that before? I think I picked up a Strionic Resonator, but I don't think I used it instead. Yeah, fair enough. I love my Stronic Resonator because it is just ridiculous. Does all of the things and it's just very slow. Yeah. So let's say, did two pre-releases. So Sunday, the day afterwards, did the draft and, uh, I was playing, I think this is when I drafted my Silver's deck. What I saw, uh, pack two, third pack, I want to say, passed to me, dismissed into dreams in it. And I'm looking at it going, yeah, I'm not in blue, but I remember you. You were good yesterday. I want to pass. Pack five, dismiss into dream. I'm just going, really? Like, this deck is here again the day afterwards? And then I think it comes into pack three. I think I open separate charge my first pack, and I'm just like, seriously, this deck was here two days in a row. <laughs> Fortunately, no one picked up the dismiss into dream the day after, but again, it was there. Double dismiss into dream, and at least one separate charge kicking about. But uh, I don't think anybody else is going to get that level of luck, if you can put it down to luck. You, you'll probably get the Zephyr charges easily enough if you if you know you're going for them early enough. You you will get, you will get the Dismiss into Dream and the Zephyr charges. Like they will both wheel because Dismiss into yeah. Dream. But it's still a rare. It has to get opened. Yeah, but nobody's going to pick it because unless you have someone like Zephyr charge, it's useless because most of the other things which target kill. Yeah, you know, like like I'm not going to use Doomblade and Dismiss into Dream to make you sack your creature instead of destroy your creature because. In 99% of the time, it's going to be the same thing. Well, I don't know. It could destroy an indestructible creature. Yeah, but that's, that's very seldom that will happen. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's basically never. I mean, Dismissing Dream is basically useless and because most of the things with target are going to deal with the thing at any rate. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things like Master Diversion, maybe. Um, mm. Yeah, there's not much. <laughs> it's quite unlikely. Yeah, I think it's pretty unplayable, except for in this silly combo, which I did get going, and I'm so happy I got going, because it, it's a wonderful little thing. It, it's very abusive. I mean, it's very unlikely, once this hits the table and your opponent gets it, that they're going to let you keep playing the game. Um, fortunately, my opponent did actually allow me three more turns with this in play, whilst it was just killing his creatures left, right, and center. So I had a whale at the time, but, you know, generally, they're just going to scoop, so... But you didn't have the whale in your deck. So you didn't literally have a whale. In your no, deck. I didn't. I didn't. I've not. I've not seen a colossal whale yet. No. So I have not had a whale of a time. So that's it. Hopefully <laughs> soon. Hopefully next week you'll be able to tell everyone about your insane colossal whale draft deck. Colossal whale dismisses a dream Zephyr charge deck. Flying <laughs> whales, which eat all the things, which cause them to be sacrificed. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. I also love this is the first thing we're talking about after the show, which was don't play enchantments. Yeah. yeah. Also, I, I do believe you have another enchantment deck to tell us about after. Well, do, do you want to, do you want me to jump into that now or do you want to talk about? I'll go for one first. Okay. Um, okay. So 
I'm going to leave probably the more obvious one to later and just talk about... This isn't so much an archetype, but an example of how a draft can kind of go in a completely different direction from what you planned um, and why it's important to look out for signals. I was drafting on... It was Friday just past, and first pack had a Seraph of the Sword and not a huge amount else. Seraph of the Sword is the 4-mana 3-3 flyer in white that has protection from combat damage, essentially. So I picked that up because it's quite bomby. Um, and then pack 2, there was no really good white cards, but there was Divination, which I see is quite a good blue card, especially if you've already went white with a flyer, because you can then maybe go into blue-white flyers. So I went for the Divination, and over the next two picks, I followed that up with a Nephalia Sea Kite and a Trained Condor, so two more flyers. So I was kind of, I'd almost pigeonholed myself into the, the blue-white flyer deck at this point. Um, which is why when the next pack came around and had a Chandra's Outrage fifth pick, which is quite a signal because it's a really strong card, mm-hmm. I instead took a mediocre but reasonable blue card in Sensory Deprivation. Um, which is an enchantment that gives a creature minus three, minus zero. So it's quite good if you're, um, going to be attacking them in the air. You can just like stop their ground creatures from hitting you back. So I, I thought I was quite heavily into this. So I'll just take the sensor of deprivation. And that way, if red stays open, I can maybe think about going into red and abandoning my white because I'll still have a blue card for the deck. So I've done that. But then immediately on the next pack, there was a flames of the firebrand. Now, having just passed the channel's outrage, I thought, is it maybe too late? And then I thought, nah, just gotta go for it. If, if this has been passed, I'm probably gonna get more red in the next three or four picks, at least. Pack two might not be great on the red, but I can just pick up blue and then get pack three just full of red. So that was kind of the, the thought there. So I decided to switch, chose the flame of the firebrand, and then over the next three picks, I got an, a channel's outrage, a young pyromancer, and a marauding mallhorn. So, pretty solid red picks. And I can't remember exactly the rest of the pack, but it was kind of mediocre red and blue stuff. Um, I think I took one green card in Colonian Tusker, um, but everything else was red or blue. And then, in pack two, I open up the boost in front of me, and what do I have but a Garrick? (sighs) Yay, I opened a Planeswalker. It's pack two, and I'm already quite heavily in blue-red, but I can't help myself. So I have a look and see which of these can I abandon, and having got so many really good red cards, I realise it's actually just stronger than my blue. So I pick up the Garrick and decide to have a look for in the next few packs and see if I can just focus on getting red cards for a while um, and see what the green looks like. So I've done this, and admittedly the majority of my deck did end up red, but there, I got quite a few decent green cards in the Hunt the Week and uh, Advocate the Beast. Um, but my red cards were like Mind Sparker, Chandra's Phoenix, Double Flames of the Firebrand, Double Chandra's Outrage, and a Volcanic Geyser, along with some other kind of just middle-of-the-line kind of creatures and stuff. So the deck ended up being quite insane. It's kind of worth it to to change early in a draft, if you can, Mm-hmm. I felt like I maybe left it a little bit too late, um, especially since I, I made one change in pack halfway through pack one and then another change in pack two. 
but I only just managed to sort of have 23 cards I was happy to play. So it did leave me a little bit short, but the overall card quality was way higher than it would have been if I'd just stuck to blue-white. Um, as it happened, um, I was actually being cut from one of them by Craig, who was to my right. Can't remember which it was. It was either blue or white. Uh, I think it was white. Funny. I think you were slivers or something. Uh, I totally can't remember what I was playing. I, I, I was definitely playing white because I had a first pick divine invocation. So. Oh okay. Oh yeah, yeah. You had you had a mythic in your deck that I couldn't work out what it was. Yeah. Um, you played. He played. Um, I think you were actually blue white because you played the uh, flying three five defender. Ah, uh, yeah, um, the sword of swords. swords. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, so none of my creatures can actually get through that. My Chandra's Outrages can't actually kill that. So I'm just going to have to sit back here a bit. So I did, for quite a few turns, and then resolved Garrick and just overloaded you with creatures. Yeah, that rings a bell. Yeah, Garrick's quite strong. Mostly for just his plus one, though. Yeah, he do- he does a lot of work. Like, are he he is... Completely playable, because he's at six mana, which is sure late game, but he just gives you so much advantage, it's just, you just can't deal with it after that. Yeah, I mean, in some decks, um, if you've not got anything out already, you'll be able to minus three and put a creature out from your hand, and then hopefully that'll protect him for long enough that he'll be able to get you some more cards next turn. But even if it doesn't, it probably gains you a lot of life, and whatever creature you put out probably gets to eat one of their attackers when they're frantically trying to kill Garrick. So... It, it just seems really good no matter what. Like, if the board's actually cluttered and you play him, then he just gets to draw you cards every single turn. Like, even in a low creature deck, he's gonna get you at least one creature a turn, probably two. So it just, it adds up so quickly, the card advantage that you get. Yeah, although I do remember your comment about, I'm gonna deck myself with this card, because you used him like two or three turns yeah, in a row. It was a legitimate chance of it. Um, and there was even a point when I, I got to the point where I realised that there was nothing in my deck worth getting with him, so I didn't bother activating his ultimate when I could. So it was like, okay, so if I activate my his ultimate, I get to cast the creature and search for the Canyon Minotaur, which is the last creature in my deck. <laughs> didn't really seem worth it, so I just didn't bother. Yeah. I just kept plussing him to put my deck in whatever order, put the best things on top. It's funny, this may be the first Planeswalker where you'd never want to ultimate unlimited because you can't use its ability by the time you get there. Yeah, I mean, once you've plussed that many times, it's not, there's not going to be much of your deck you haven't been through. Yeah, because he's a six drop, so how many cards have you played? And then he's going to filter through at least 15 cards in your library because you have to activate this plus one three times. So, yeah. There's not going to be many creatures left which you need or want, you know. Not really. I mean, you're a lot more likely at that point to have too many creatures in your hand to cast in a turn and want to just use his minus to save yourself some mana. Yeah. But, yeah. He seems really strong anyway. <laughs> That's yeah. the moral of the story. <laughs> Open so, Planeswalker, win draft. It's a, yeah. it's a good, it's a good message. Yeah. Although, I have to say, if, if it had been in pack three that I'd opened the Garrick, I, it probably wouldn't have been anywhere near worth it. Mm. Yeah. Would you, if you weren't in blue and pack three, you opened Jace Memory Adept. Would you risk it? Um, You'd be tempted because Jace is still the best, right? He is still the best, and he does win games almost immediately. But I don't think you can afford it unless you've at least got a few blue playables that you've drafted, and 
mm. you're mostly one color. I mean, if you if you've got say fourteen playables in one color, and your second color is just like a sort of minor bonus or whatever, then you can maybe consider it. But a lot of the time, I think you just have to pass them on. Oh, oh, oh see, this is going to be my second question: Would you pass them or would you hate them? That depends what else is in the pack. Okay, that's, that's if there's a reasonable pick to go with it. Like if, say, there's a Chandra's Outrage or a Flames of the Bat Firebrand or something there, or a Pacifism or a Doomblade, like, these are all things that would take over it. But if there wasn't anything that's really strong for the deck that I've already got, then I probably would just hate him because if you play against, unless you've got like a, a deck that's really good against a Jace deck, in other words, you're applying a lot of pressure early on, then he does just win the games against you if they draw him. Yeah. And it becomes a case of, do they draw Jace? If so, they win. If not, you might win. <laughs> Which doesn't seem great. So, a lot of the time, I probably wouldn't end up hating him, but there are some times that if it's a weak pack, other than him, then I will do. I, I would be very sorely tempted with Jace to hate it. I think any other Planeswalker wouldn't be so bad, but, you know, Jace can just win games out of nowhere. I have passed a, a pack three Jace before, so I've I've been in a situation which makes it a lot easier to to make the decision. I, I can say that yes, I will because I have. <laughs> oh, this, this reminds me. I swear, I'm pretty sure this was on the podcast ages ago. But Steve talking about passing two planeswalkers in the same oh, draft, yeah. including Jace, and it's just yep. like, son, what is wrong with you? But you know, it was Jason Garrick. Jason. Yep, and the person that you passed them to ended up in blue green. And had a really strong deck, although it really? was mostly based around five or six cards. Like, if they didn't draw any of those cards, then their deck sucked. But yeah. uh, I think they had double uh, mind control as well as <laughs> other stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> it, it was quite strong. <laughs> this was in M12, I think. Yeah, M12, I think that sounds about right. But yeah. We've actually had that Jace for a while now. I, I gotta say, I was really surprised that they reprinted it, because I thought that Planeswalker sort of had a two-year lifespan. It was generally Corset Mythics, which had a two-year lifespan. Uh-huh. Like because, the Titans as well. Yeah, because I mean, the idea was because it rotated every year, um, and Mythics are supposed to be cards that require a bit of investment to get, that they didn't want to punish people for getting Corset Mythics by saying after a year that they couldn't play with them. So historically, the Planeswalkers, Baneslayer Angel, and the Titans, and probably a couple other things I can't remember, have all been in two core sets before rotating. Um, I mean, they made an exception with Thragtusk, but that wasn't a mythic. So that wasn't surprising, since it's, especially since it had been so dominant. Um, but yeah, there's, there, I think the only other thing that's been, uh, missed out after one year was the Thundermore Hellkite. That was only in one corset, I think. Well, Sarah's Avatar never got reprinted. Or Sublime Archangel. There's actually quite a few from M13. Oh, okay. They've, they've changed a few things with this corset then. I mean, I, well, I'll, I'll just very quickly name them. I mean, Sarah Avatar, Sublime Archangel, Omniscience, Vampire Nocturnus, uh, Thunderbolt Hellkite, Worldfire, Elder Scale Worm, Primordial Hydra, Nicobolus, Grubbers Memorial. Like, it's literally only the Planeswalkers which have been reprinted are the Mythics which have been retained. I think ones that are already reprints are probably a different thing altogether. Uh, Angelic Destiny from M12 wasn't reprinted? Oh, okay. That wasn't played a huge amount, though. Uh, it wasn't played a little bit. 
some deck played it. Bloodlord of Basagoth? Yeah, what card? I don't remember that card, that sucked. Uh, 3-3, <laughs> Blood First Flying Vampire, gave other vampires Blood First, I think. Uh, Fearborn Hellkite. Oh yeah, it wasn't bad. Yeah, well, it, it, few, but it, it, These aren't, like, mythics that shone in standard. Like, a lot of the ones that were played heavily in standard have been reprinted more than once. Hmm. But yeah, the, this is the first time I think that mythic's been reprinted in three consecutive core sets. Yes, I think I agree with that. Uh, I'm probably going to be wrong now. Well, I'm looking at I'm, I'm looking at 2012, so I don't see another thing which is reprinted in three years. Ah, okay. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if there's been anything that was printed in M12 and M14, but not M13 either. So I don't think M12 and 14 share mythics other than Jace. This is two years ago, so I'm probably wrong again. No, this is... This, sorry, I'm looking. This is correct. You're right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Chase, Chase is only Mythic, which is an M12 and M14. Cool. <laughs> wow. Please, can we get rid of him for M15? Like, seriously. Oh, I'd be very surprised if he got reprinted. Honestly, I think it'll be back to small Jace or a whole new one. I... Maybe you could see Mem... Uh, actually, no. Architect of Thought's probably maybe a bit too complicated. I think just because Architect of Thought will have been in standard for two years, I don't think they'll put him into a core set straight away. I think he'll probably be another couple of years down the line before he's sort of eligible for reprint. Yeah. But you never know. He might be another Jace who's in standard for three years. Yay! <laughs> I mean, I, I know Jace does well. I know Jace is actually well-beloved. I quite like Jace. It's just... I'm bored of the card. Yeah, I, I I prefer the original Jace. I think that was his sort of best incarnation in that it was really simple, it was really blue, and it wasn't insanely overpowered or anything, but it was like a strong three-mana planeswalker. Right. So I, I liked ori- original Jace quite a bit. Yeah, I don't know. I was hoping it would be in this core set. Maybe next year. We will see. I mean, there will be a Jace, probably. I would love to see another Blue Planeswalker. Like, I know we've got three. I wouldn't mind seeing another Tamiyo card or Tamiyo reappearing or... Well, I mean, they've done it with Gideon. Um, about a year after Gideon rotated, they put him in the core set, didn't they? Uh, in fact, I don't yeah. think he'd even rotated yet. Rise of the Eldrazi in M12. So, yeah, they've, they've done it before. Oh, he just slapped Mind Sculptor. I, I don't think that would be great. <laughs> that I would be terrible. That's happen <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's cool enough that we're getting a reprinted Jason the Mind Sculptor in From the Vaults without needing anything else. Yeah. I don't true. think he needs to be in any other magic product ever. So do you want to talk about your second enchantment deck anyway? Oh, I love this. Now this wasn't in a draft. This wasn't a sealed deck. This was my pre-release deck on the Sunday and I did post a picture of it up on Tumblr. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I opened up my, my six boosters and I had, you know, sort them into colored piles. My blue was a terribly weak pile. I think it was bad removal spells and then creatures which you just don't want to play on a good day. So I just went, right, can't play blue. Fair enough. Uh, looked at the rest of my piles and my white seemed pretty good. I had, you know, a few good removal spells, quite a good, number of creatures, maybe towards the higher end, I needed a different colour to support it. Looked at my black deck, and uh, my black cards were pretty cheap. There was nothing all outstanding except for Liliana of the Dark Realms, which, you know, 
maybe the worst planeswalker, but a planeswalker is still a planeswalker, so don't put her down, you know. She's still good in limited. And then my red, you know, was decent creatures, nice burn. Green was decent creatures, nice sort of pump and, you know. So I was kind of thinking, well, you know, maybe I could get white to work maybe with the red or the green. And I had a look and then I was just like, you know what? I got Sanguine Bond. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done that. When you know what, there's a Sanguine Bond. <laughs> you know, I've got I've got Sanguine Bond. That's that's a that's an interesting enchantment. I got two Angelic Accords, which are interesting enchantments. And I've got a Mark of the Vampire, Solemn Offering, Trading Post. There's quite a few Life Gate cards here. I could maybe get some sort of combo going with my Angelic Accords. I. Could I make a really odd black-white janky enchantment deck? So I put the cards together. Creatures were very uninteresting. They're there sort of to protect me and slow the game down so I could get to this place where I could do all my janky enchantment stuff. Put it together, put it to the side, and then I went and looked at my red and my green cards and put together a deck. And I was like, that is a really solid deck, you know, just good creatures, good spells. What can you ask for? Like, there's there's not much here I could ask for more. I mean, maybe lots of slivers, but... So I looked at my green and my red and just went, you don't interest me as much as my white and my black. I want to play this janky enchantments thing. So, yeah, that, let's just go through the enchantments I was running in this deck. So, I already said double angelic accord, which just doesn't do anything unless you've got plenty of life gain. Yeah, and it doesn't work with Sanguine Bond either. It doesn't work very well with Sanguine Bond. It would work with Exquisite Blood quite well. Yeah, so, so uh, that wasn't fortunate, but eh. Uh, double Pacifism. I mean, two removal spells, cast, you know, for much better. Double Sets, no Sliver, which, uh, yeah, okay, they don't really stack up well, but, you know, they're solid two drops. Had a Sarah Angel, Divine Favor, or Enchantment, uh, or a Mancer, which... Actually, I think I sided out, and I can't remember what for, but I sided that out pretty uh, early on, because it didn't do what I was wanting. And the Siege of Macedon just, just gum up the ground and a solemn offering, um, primarily there for the game for life. Um, on the black side, it's just really rubbish. Like, Liliana is good. Uh, sorry, Double Mark of the Vampire, Sanguine Bond, and then Child of Night, Dark Favor, Vile Rebirth, Festering Newt, and Annoying Zombie. Just really rubbish cards, but you consider the life gain you can get off the Mark of the Vampire, you consider having an Angelic Accord out, you gain life, you get a 4 for Angel. That's pretty good. That's pretty now, good. double Angelic Accord means you gain 4 life, you get 2 Angels. I also had a Stronic Resonator, which means even with just the 1 Angelic Accord, I can get out 2 Angels, and then I also had the Trading Post, which, when the Trading Post first came out in M13, I looked at it and went, why the hell would anyone play this under practically any circumstance? It's very, very underwhelming, very rubbish, just janky. But the ability to, in the late game, draw a card which you don't need or a land which you don't need and just go, I'll discard this for four life, is really good when gaining four life creates you four four angels. Yeah, it does make the card a little bit better. Yeah, so this... So from a whole bunch of enchantments, which I love the fact we totally railed enchantments last episode, and now I made these stupid enchantment decks, but yeah. Bunch of do-nothing enchantments, plenty of auras which are so dangerous to play, and creatures which are 
just about playable on the white side and really not that great on the black side. I made this thing work. <laughs> I imagine you had a lot of four drops, though. Let's see. I mean, Liliana... Double Mark, Double Angelica Card, Trading Post. There's six, and I don't know if there was anything else, but those are the six that sort of hit me as quite a few. Yeah, th- this did rely on a little bit of luck just to survive the early game. Like, pacifism were really good in the early game, because you could just... Yeah, Fester Newt's okay as well. Yeah, I think they were literally just in as one drop just so I could hit the ground early and actually block things. Because the early game, I had, you know, I had to be careful because I knew I had to make the game last. So if you, if something came down with one power, then I wouldn't, you know, there's no point pacifying that. Like, I'll just take the one hit until I can come up the board and stop it from hitting me. But it's when you start playing the two power and the three power stuff. That's what you need to deal with pretty quickly. So, cause I know, I, I certainly know that I used to have that sort of, you play a creature and I have a removal spell, then those two are going together regardless. Like that, that's yeah. just, you know, you, you just got that. I don't want you to have anything, so I'm just going to get rid of it. Like, you know, I play a festering newt. I just, you know, fireball it. That's an instinctive reaction. <laughs> it's not a very good reaction. So, you know, I did have to play this carefully and use my pacifisms where I had to. But, um, yeah, it, it, this led to some interesting games. I mean, Playing Angelica Court and not having lifelink is the worst because they just the waste of card and waste of time and waste of mana. But there was one game where I had double Angelica Court out. I drew my solemn offering and I was going, right, what can I disenchant? And the only option was a pacifism of my opponent's giant spider. But I figured, you know what? Giving them a two four reach for four fours for flying, two of them, that seems pretty good. So Yeah, it's probably worth it. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yes, that, that was, that's an interesting game when giving your opponent a creature back is actually good for you. <laughs> Doesn't come up a huge amount. Yeah. Now, uh, Liliana didn't do terribly much except for thin out the swamps in my deck. Uh, I, be- I used her, I think, once to pump. I think I used her once to reduce something and kill it. Most of the time I was just fishing out the, Swaps because I just had to get to playable cars and do more stuff because there are so few creatures and I had to make my enchantments really work hard to get value out of it. But you know, drawing the extra swaps to pitch to trading post and get angels, pretty good combo going on right there. But yeah, so how did the deck actually go in the end? I think I won the pre-release with this deck. <laughs> like I should have, in wow. all honesty, played my red green deck. It was a better deck. It would have a lot more consistency. And it probably would have went through, you know, itself. But I, it's a pre-release. I wanted to have fun. And this just looked so on the knife edge of what is playable. And I could just about pull off and make it work that I just went, let's just have some fun here. Because, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's so little on the line. Like, sure, there's obviously there's booster prizes, but you know, it's not ultra competitive, and I was just like, yeah, let's just have fun. And yeah, I think I went 3-0 with this deck, it, but it required careful play, and it was really a silly deck, but it's far more important to have fun, I think, than to win games. Yeah, especially at a pre-release. Especially a pre-release. Like, a pre-release is definitely should be fun events. If you're going in with a, I'm going to win, I'm going to take this down, then you're, you're, you're missing the point. It's about opening new cards, enjoying yourself with friends, and... Uh, doing stupid stuff like playing an enchantment-heavy deck when it's a really bad idea, and yet somehow pulling it off. So 
I am a, I'm a big fan of this white black janky deck I made. I really want to see if I can pull it off again in a draft, uh, but I don't think I will, but oh. Well, yeah, draft is a little bit faster as well, so you might not get as much chance to set it up. Yeah, this is true. Um, I have played Angelica Court in, uh, a draft and it did not do anywhere near as well and it had, I think I even had a few life, lifelink creatures which would have actually helped it get there, but it just, it, it just didn't happen. So this was a high risk deck, but it was good fun and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, uh, oddly enough, I am now promoting the message with both this deck and the blue enchantment deck that enchantments can definitely be a thing. It's just you need to be very careful, understand the risks involved are monumental. But sometimes, sometimes it works out fantastically and you have the most amount of fun and you just, the, the inner Johnny just laughs and laughs and laughs when it goes, oh, oh, wait, so I'm offering my pacifism. I gain four life and the turn. I get two, four, four angels. Stratic Resonator. I'll give myself a third one. Yeah. What more could you want? Actually, let, let's not, cause that I, 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 I don't think there is any more I can want. The, the amount of fun I had with this, and my opponent just, just from nowhere, the, the host of angels would appear, and they're just like, what is, what, what is this? It's like, this is my janky deck, which is gonna take down the pre-release. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so much fun was had. Well, it was actually a similar attitude that led me to draft, uh, my next deck. Um, just sort of going along and going, right. I'm just going to have fun tonight. I'm going to draft what I feel like, and it will be awesome. So I ki- I went along, and I'd kind of been thinking a little bit about the red-black sacrifice idea, because there's a lot of sacrifice effects that are really good in the set, um, and there's a lot of things that are really good to be sacrificed. So I thought, I'll maybe go for that, but I'll see what I open. So... I open the first pack, and there's a pacifism as the obvious first pick. It was basically pacifism, and then some reasonably decent creatures as the next best thing. Um, the rare was basically so forgettable that I have no idea what it was. Yeah, very, very forgettable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fairly. <laughs> so um, there was this pacifism, and it was like, okay, so that's the choice. But there was also an act of treason. So, so I was like, right, I thought about doing this deck, there's an act of treason, that's almost the perfect card to start with, so I went for it. I picked up the act of treason, and I drafted the deck. Now, unfortunately, there was only six people at the table, of which two other people, like two people as well as me, were drafting red-black. <laughs> so it was quite overdrafted. Uh, which meant that I didn't really get nearly as many cards as I wanted. So it probably wasn't the best example of the red-black uh, deck, but it did end up still getting me to the final. I think that says a lot for the potential of the deck, really. Although it was funny that the deck I played in the final was the person to my left, who I'd passed the pass from to, he'd taken it, went, yeah, okay, I'm white. I'd passed a bunch of blue stuff to him. He was the only blue drafted at the deck, so he got all of the blue stuff he wanted. And then in pack three... I opened up the Angel, Archangel of Thun, and I was Ooh. like, yep, there you go, have a present. Because <laughs> it was obvious, based on what I'd passed him, that he was going to have to take that card. So, um, yeah, that was a nice one for him, and he ended up destroying me with the deck in the final. Oh. Actually, I haven't said that. Um, it wasn't that far off being a close game. I did manage to win one of the three games, so it couldn't have been too bad. 
but yeah, so like the deck itself, um, I, I don't want to like sort of say what that deck was because A, I can't remember exactly what was in it, and B, it wasn't a very good example anyway. Yeah, so the the cards that are in M M fourteen, which are obviously good, are a few sacrifice outlets like uh, Knowing Zombie, Blood Bairn, and Alter's Reap. I think those are probably the main three that you're likely to get quite easily. Um, Knowing Zombie is the hardest one to get by far because it's an uncommon. It's a good two drop even if you're not planning on using it as much for its ability because it's a one three for two. So it kind of gums up the board early quite well. But I mean, the other two of those, Alter's Reap and Blood Bairn should be fairly easy to get because they, they're both commons and they're not, they don't look fantastic on their own. You have to kind of have stuff to go with them. Um, the other sacrifice outlet, which I will mention though, is Vampire Warlord. And he's particularly good because he lets you play Janky Enchantments in your deck. Yay! Um, because you can stick a Mark of the Vampire on him um, and feel fairly safe that as long as you've got another creature, they're not going to be able to kill him. And then he's pretty huge. So anything they block with is dying. Um, they have to have at least four power to even make you have to sacrifice something. So odds are they're not going to have a lot of things which are even forcing you to sacrifice a creature. Um, so you can be really strong and you can just win the game really quickly off the back of that. And I did win quite a few games that way in that draft in particular. So, yeah, th- those are the sacrifice outlets. And most of them are okay cards of their own, but aren't fantastic. Then you've got the things that you kind of pair with them that makes them really good. First of all, you've got Act of Treason, which is probably the main one that you want to get as many of as possible. Because Act of Treason basically becomes like a lava axe that kills one of their creatures, almost. Oh. Because you get to steal their creature, hit them with it, and then sacrifice it for maybe an effect as well, which is nice. And if they do something to stop it from hitting them, then odds are it was their best creature, so it's either eating one of their other creatures or eating a removal spell, which is just bonus, so yay. There's a few other things that can get you a little bit of value if you're sacrificing things. Probably the most common one you're likely to get a chance to get is the Festering New, which kind of wheels a lot. Yeah. But it's actually reasonably good if you're using it for an effect, because you can use it when you want to kill one of their one power, uh, one toughness creatures, as well as getting a bonus from gnawing zombie or blood bairn or something. And also, if you're attacking with this on the board and a sacrifice outlet, it's it's like a combat trick that they have to try and play around, which often just means that they can't block certain creatures that they otherwise would. It helps you get damage in. So this deck's actually quite aggressive in a way. Um, in that it plays a few creatures that you're quite happy to block with, but it plays quite a few things that are going to be attacking almost every turn. So it's 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 got aggression with a bit of defense there as well, which is quite interesting. Mm. Um, it sort of holds back a little bit while hitting them with one creature, which seems strange, but it's it kind of works a bit. The other card you might want to sacrifice is Dragon's Egg, because you sacrifice it and you get a better card. So your 3-mana Dragon's Egg is now a 3-mana 2-2 flyer with Fire Breathing, which also gives you one of your bonuses, like draw two cards or make your uh, your Blood Bairn bigger. The other thing is obviously Tenacious Dead, which is quite nice in that you can sacrifice one of these effects and then still have it, because unlike the previous versions of this card, which had Regenerate 
or um, put it back from the graveyard in another turn or something. It's kind of been designed to work with sacrifice and that you, you do it straight away at the time and then you get it back and then you can do it again and so on if you wanted to. So it can just like make a blood bearing ridiculously powerful if you've got the mana. Nice. Or it can gradually drain them out with annoying zombie or it can gradually gain you a ridiculous amount of life with a bubbling cauldron that happened to me and a couple of friends at a team sealed event. Um, in the last match of the day, um, one of my friends was against someone who had a bunch of Tenacious Dead and a couple of cauldrons in his deck, and they just gained so much life that it was really hard to race, because he also had one or two flyers, including the Shadowborn Demon. Oh, that's, that's pretty hard to beat. Yeah, and when you've got stuff like the Tenacious Dead there that you're happy to sacrifice to his effect, it, it doesn't really have any downside. No. He just has like a, a five six flyer for something like five mana, so it's pretty strong. I probably want to draft this deck a little bit more and see how it works out, but it seems like it's got a lot of potential. Even if you don't get the the nut cards, there's a few replacements for them. There's also the the Macbeth cycle, which can fit perfectly into this style of deck if you've got if you manage to open a bog brew witch. <laughs> because you're already maybe happy to play a bubbling cauldron and a couple of festering newts in the deck, so yeah, it, it almost works better in this style of deck than it would normally, um, and then just makes the rest of your things even better. So that would be nice. I, I, I'd like to open a Bulgary Witch first pack and then go into this deck. I think that's probably the best way I can see this happening. Hmm. Trust I'll have to keep my eye out for that. I, I know Sam Black's a big fan of the sacrifice mechanic, so. It's good to see it's got some support in M14. Yeah, he's played quite a few decks with it, it? and also LSV's been quite a fan of the Sacrifice deck in M13, I think it was. It might have been M12, so... In fact, I think he posted something on Twitter recently about a a red-black Sacrifice deck he'd made while everyone else was testing for the World Players Championship. Right. um, Where he'd got basically everything he, he ever wanted in the deck. So it was like multiple copies of stuff like Alter's Reap and Bloodbairn and Act Treason and everything, so that seemed quite nice. <laughs> so if, you, if you're following LSV or Yarn, then follow him and have a look. It's quite cool. I think you mean Hall of Famer of 2013? Yeah. Louis Scott Barga. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can now proudly say that. Okay. Did you have another deck as well? I don't know. I mean, I did also get a Slivers deck. I drafted one, but I'm not sure what I want to say about it. I mean, I'm pretty, I think mostly because I think I've said it before, insofar as the open and nut sliver, like gigantic sliver, it's probably worth trying to make the sliver deck work, but I think the better way to make the sliver deck work is to have it come naturally just by being in two of the colors, you know, white or green or red, that have, you know, the... The slivers in them, because we're not really thinking about the blue or the black one, and just, you know, being in those colors and being aware of the fact that, you know, if you can get multiple slivers, you know, especially something like predatory sliver, then you can be a very happy person indeed. But I don't know what I want to really say about it. Yeah, I think if you manage to get, like, maybe two predatory slivers from pack one, you probably want to try and aim for the deck. Yeah, I mean, there's some I would be wary of picking up unless I had other slivers, like striking sliver is amazing 
in the sliver deck, but if there's no other slivers, a 1-1 with first strike is a thoroughly unimpressive card. Actually, having said that, um, the deck that got closest to beating me when I had the ridiculous Garrick deck was a sliver deck, uh-huh. which had a few copies of Striking Sliver in it. However, they did also have Dora Destinies, which, as it turns ah. out, is amazing in draft if you do get slivers. Yeah. Even with mediocre slivers, it's pretty good. I mean, I suppose I could see a couple of striking slivers being good. I mean, it's effectively anything with two power, two toughness can't attack because there is a two power first strike, but. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, if you've already played the Dora Destinies, your striking slivers are anthems as well as being one ones. Yeah. For one. So, they're like automatically a two two for one. And they give all the other ones plus one. So that's quite nice. I'm on the fence about a couple of sliver cards. I'm, I'm not sure whether I like them. I'm pretty sure I don't like them on their own, but I'm not sure if I like them in sliver deck. Like, Blur Sliver, you know, two and a red for a two, two, a haste. I'm not sure how important haste is in the sliver deck, really. Like, it's nice, but... Uh... I think it depends on what you've got. Like, if you're just green-red, and you manage to get a few predatory slivers, and you kind of get a curve of striking, predatory, blur, and then maybe look to top it out with a battle sliver on turn five. That can be quite nasty. Yeah, I think I think blur's just not one of the ones I'm too excited with, because it is a bear with a meh ability, but it doesn't cost two. You know, it's not actually two-two for two, it's two-two for three, and... The problem is the other ones are also, like, a lot more elusive than blur sliver. Like, even when I've not been drafting slivers, and I've been drafting red... I've ended up with two or three blur slivers by accident. Right. They're not the sort of card I tend to pick up outside of the sliver deck, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, is that if you are going to be slivers and you just need a few extra ones, they're quite easy to get to fill out your curve. Yeah. There aren't a lot of three-drop slivers anyway. I'm not sure about ground shaker sliver. Like, I I think it's a 5-5 for 7 with trample, which is... It's okay, but for seven mana, I'd like something more, and there's always, you know, there's always the risk you're not gonna hit the seven mana, you know, you're not actually gonna get that like into a game. I think it depends if you've gone down the route of having a couple of mana weft slivers. Right. If you've got a couple of mana weft slivers plus this, and like, obviously more slivers in your deck, then you can get it a lot quicker. But I'd still rather be ramping into something like Megantic Sliver than this, by quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. Like, the bonus it gives to your other slivers aren't, isn't that important unless you've got some other way to buff them. Because given a 2-2 trample just really isn't that impressive. Yeah. Yeah. As I, I, I think I've always been saying, the predatory sliver is the crux of the deck. I mean... Fear my 1-1 one, one first striking trampler. Yeah. Wait, what? That being said, the last 1-1 one, one first striking trampler that we had was fairly impressive in the right deck. Legion Loyalist. Right, yes, well, that's because <laughs> it gave all its friends those abilities as well. Ah, but, but ah, so this all, your, all of its friends will have those abilities. Yeah, that, that, that is a good point, actually. <laughs> yeah, as long as the friends are slivers, of course. Yeah, it's a lot harder to draft it, though. Like, drafting a deck where Legion Loyalist was good was often a bit harder than just making a constructed deck where Legion Loyalist was good. And I think it's probably similar here. Yeah, um, I've got a couple of random points to make. One, one I just remembered about another tweet I got uh, a wee while ago from Ben, who uh, I think after I posted the picture of my janky enchantment deck, he was 
wondering why I wasn't playing Blightcaster, which definitely would have been a perfect shoe-in for this deck. It's a three and a black for a two-three human wizard. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. That would have definitely worked beautifully in this deck. I just assumed you didn't have one. Yeah, it wasn't. like this. As I say, this was sealed, so I, I didn't open it. No way of getting it. So, yeah, it would have been great. Like, I... I say, I can't, I can't remember what I got rid of my Auromancer for, but it definitely would have been in there instead of the Auromancer, because it would have been... Well, I have to say, it is another four drop. Eh, I, I think it would have been fine. Um, another, another random thing, I was just looking through some of the artwork. Remember how we were saying, oh, remember how you were saying you don't really look at the artwork? Yeah. Have a look at Celestial Flare, because I just noticed something about the three persons in the picture of Celestial Flare. Okay. What can you tell me about those three people in this picture of First Lesson Flare? Are they all art? Yeah, they are orcs. Okay, yeah, that's a surprise. Yeah, I just, I just realized, um, there was a guy, it's the, it's a one on the right with a, a spear and the shield. I just noticed he looked, I was like, that looks a lot like a World of Warcraft card. That looks like a World of Warcraft orc. Wait a moment, they're all orcs. <laughs> well, it makes sense, cause, you, they're not supposed to be white creatures. They're supposed to be guys who are attacking the white guy. Yeah, I get that, but like orcs are so like slum on the ground when it comes to magic, and they look horrendously like World of Warcraft orcs. They do actually. That they uh, do I was a lot just, like it. I was just like, wait a sec, what is, is that? Am I seeing that right? But <laughs> wow, yeah, I never noticed that. that. That's quite interesting. I'm curious. When was the last time we had an orc? Orcish Artillery in 10th edition. Is that really the most recent orc? Wow. Would you like to guess how many orcs there are in Magic the Gathering? Um, let's go with 8. Higher than 8. Okay. 13. There are 20. Oh, okay. I probably deliberately underestimated based on the fact that you were asking me that question. Yeah, uh, one of them is in an unset. There's Orcish Paratroopers. Uh, although, to be honest, kinda looks like Goblin. Uh, but yeah, there are 20 orcs. And the last wow. time we saw one was in 10th, and the first time we saw one was in Alpha. Yeah, not a huge amount of orcs then. No, orcs and dwarfs both are horrendously unrepresented in Magic. Uh, although I think the orc, yeah, the orc does get a worse deal, because we had a lot of dwarfs in, uh, Florwind block, didn't we? Yeah, there used to be war, uh, dwarves used to be the, the red creature actually. Oh, 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 yeah, right, I see Odyssey, and uh, I yeah. do remember them from Judgment a bit, yeah. I, I believe it was some kind of accident that re- that ended up making goblins into the creature, the red creature instead of dwarves, actually. I yeah, remember. I, I remember. It's, uh, I want to is it Goblin Scouts? Someone said it was a card that looked like, an, that was supposed to be an orc, but it ended up looking like a goblin. I think it was meant to be dwarfs but end up looking like a goblin. If you look for goblin scouts, uh, which is an uncommon from Mirage, Marrow did actually recently speak about this on his podcast. Uh, although I do remember the story from earlier from somewhere. But yeah, the, uh, the art was requested and when it came back, the art was not of dwarfs, but of very odd looking goblins. I mean, they are Caucasian as opposed to green. They've got weird sort of Fu Manchu mustaches, some of them. And, uh, They're a bit like gnomish goblins. Yeah, they're really strange, but clearly, as you can see, not dwarfs, so they had to change it to Golden Scouts instead of Dwarven Scouts. And that's why we have Goblins instead of Dwarfs, was because of this artwork, effectively. <laughs> oh, I like how the, the flavor text on the card is 
pathetic. Like I wouldn't know a goblin painted up to look like a dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> Quite appropriate. Yeah, so... See, that's why they put that there. Orcs and dwarfs, unrepresented. Or poorly represented. Kind of got minotaurs replacing everything else in red now. Yeah, well, we're, we're definitely getting lots of minotaurs from Theros, and uh, we've had plenty in the Boros Legion, so... Yep. And ogres, they're kind of seeing yeah. a fair bit. Yeah. Even the goblins are not hugely represented anymore. There were more, like, last year. Yeah. The, when Krenko was around. Yeah, we, we only got two new ones. The, uh, actually, we only got two in M14, which is the Diplomat of the Shortcutter. Yeah. So one new one and one reprint. And, uh, I mean, to be honest, if you want Goblin Love, there were plenty of Modern Masters. But That's true. They yeah. were kind of half a tribe. Well, no, they were a tribe, actually. They were red-black, though, which was different. Um, there was, not really just red. There was quite a few in uh, the Return of Ravnica block as well, to be honest. What, black goblins? No, no, red. red oh, right, goblins. okay. Well, there, well, there was a red-black goblin. There was Spike Gesture. Ah, uh, that's true. Oh, well. I'm sure the goblins will continue to soldier on. Yeah, I imagine goblins would not be appearing at Theros, however. No, probably not. Yeah. It does make me wonder a lot what the small creatures are going to be like in Theros. Humans? Because, well, yeah, I mean, humans mostly going to be in white and red, I would assume, though. Because in white, you're going to have kind of your organized kind of city folk and your soldiers and stuff. And then in red, you're probably going to have the barbarians. Or the Spartans! Yeah, potentially. So it's, it, I wonder what, what there's going to be in the other colors. I mean, it might just be humans in all colors. It's entirely possible. Well, there's at least three different Theros cities, so I imagine that we'll see humans in three different colours. Ah, uh, that's probably right. That, that would make sense. But, who knows, we'll, we will have to wait and see. Oh, speaking of Theros, I think you should share your um, your your little theory that you randomly came up with in the middle of the night about Theros. Oh, oh, I was totally forgetting about this. Give me a second, I need my mobile phone, because uh, this was text messages I sent in the middle of the night, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> not, 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 the, not the sweet ones I would send to my wife, unfortunately, but, uh, what was it again? Yes, yeah, so, we know that there are gods, or deities is potentially a less controversial term in Theros. Yeah. And, they have something to, like, the enchantment matters in Theros, but it's not an enchantment matters theme, which, yeah. so I'm there's not- There's gonna be something to do with enchantments. And all these gods have an alternate border, and you know, I I think we mentioned before, wondering if offering may be a mechanic. You know, you know, you, you, humans sacrifices themselves to summon their god or something like that. But yeah, the problem with that is it only really goes with gods of one or two colors, and most of the time, I think. Yeah. So, and we know we have a returning mechanic. So yeah, my really off-the-wall, unlikely-to-happen, wild speculation was we could see, with the enchantments being important and the gods maybe being summoned by their followers, affinity for enchantments, or maybe even more harshly, and maybe more balanced, affinity with auras coming out. But this is a wild theory. I mean... Yeah, I mean, the idea would be that maybe the, the the enchanted creatures... When a creature had an aura on it, it was then a worshipper of that god. Yeah. So that could kind of make it cheaper. I wonder how much the god would cost in the first place. It would probably be quite expensive. 
I mean, imagine that whatever these deities will cost, they'll have to be castable, like a reasonable cost, like no more than nine, unless there's a heck of a lot of ramp. Well, I mean, you get your angels and demons and demigods and stuff at around seven, mana. Yeah. So I would expect ten to be the very lowest, because I mean, if you look at the Eldrazi Titans as well, the cheapest of those is ten, and they're kind of like otherworldly gods. I I don't know how much like the Eldrazi they'll be. I I well, don't know. I, I feel they're going to be more reasonably costed. It depends whether they're supposed to be the actual gods themselves or the sort of incarnations. Like the avatars of the gods. Yeah, if they're more supposed to be like avatars, then it would make sense for them to be a little bit cheaper. And I think they might be, because that would make them a lot more likely to be playable. Well, we got a new card frame, so undoubtedly they're going to be special one way or another, so they could be the deities themselves. Uh, they could be. Yeah. Ah, the speculation. <laughs> wild, wild uh, spurious speculation, I mean. Yep. But since you came up with it, might as well share it, because then if it turns out to be right, we look awesome. You heard it here first. Enchant- uh, affinity with enchantments or affinity with uh, auras. Happening at Theros. And even if it doesn't happen, there's enough speculation going on, on out there that we won't be the only wrong ones. <laughs> <laughs> we'll yes. either be the only right ones, or we'll be amongst a large crowd of wrong people, which is fine. Yeah, so either we'll be the savants, or we'll be an idiot like everyone else. That's fine. I can live with that. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with it. <laughs> Anything else before we sign off? Is there any other deck you wish to talk about, or...? No, that's that's mostly what I've been having fun with, apart from generic sort of archetypes like blue-white flyers and stuff. So uh, Let's not go into those, because they're not particularly different from any other set. <laughs> no, no, that's true. Um, okay, then. I guess we're done. Now, this won't be in the show, because Craig will have cut it out, but he did try three times to the outro. And so, yeah, I'm doing it. Okay. So, we're on Tumblr at delvingintodraft.tumblr.com, where you can see Craig's janky enchantment deck that he made. We're also on Facebook as Delving Into Draft. Our email address is delvingintodraft at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter as DarkAndTheMad. Craig is Ravak underscore. And Steve is ToeJamHorse. Your hosts for this week were me, Dan, and you, Craig. That's me! The intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod. The name of the song is The Cannery, and it is royalty-free music licensed under the Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.